Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 110. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I think you're going to enjoy today's episode. I interviewed a very interesting guest all the way from Wales, Kyle Davies. Kyle is a chartered psychologist, therapist, coach, and consultant who lives in Cardiff, Wales. He's the creator of Energy Flow Coaching, a mind-body approach to help people overcome chronic health challenges, achieve optimum well-being, and experience greater personal freedom. Kyle is a regular contributor to TV news and is frequently heard on radio and podcasts like this. Kyle and I talked about his new book, The Intelligent Body, Reversing Chronic Fatigue and Pain from the Inside Out. And I think you're going to find this very interesting. It kind of goes along with my discussion with Dr. Leslie Korn and Dr. Gabor Mate. All of the conversations that we've had about the mind-body connection. So I hope you'll enjoy my interview with Kyle Davies. Let's go ahead and listen. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know real quick, for those of you who enjoy listening to Therapy Chat, there's a new way to participate, the Facebook group. So there's already a Facebook page, you may know. But this is a Facebook group for fans and supporters of Therapy Chat. And there we will have special opportunities to interact. There will be some Facebook Live videos. Right now, we have three people in the group. So I hope if you'd like to participate and discuss Therapy Chat and topics related to Therapy Chat, that you'll go to Facebook and request to join. The process to join is you click on the request to join in the group. There's a few questions and you are requested to join my email list exclusively for therapy chat listeners. This list will be the main way that I will, that I will communicate with listeners about special opportunities, sharing episodes and other 
exciting and fun things that I haven't really dreamed up yet. So this is not my regular email newsletter, but this is a specific list just for Therapy Chat listeners. I hope to see you in the group. Thanks. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm so excited to share this fascinating conversation that I'm about to have with my guest today, Kyle Davies. Kyle, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Laura. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. As you, <laughs> as you can all hear, Kyle is calling in from Wales, which is wonderful. I'm so grateful that you are willing to be interviewed on Therapy Chat all the way from Wales about your book, The Intelligent Body, Reversing Chronic Fatigue and Pain from the Inside Out. So Kyle, let's just start off by you telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work. I guess I could tell you how I arrived at where I am now, if that's any use. So I'm a psychologist by original trade, and I worked my I started my career in management consulting, doing a whole range of different things. The thing that sort of interested me most was the coaching, counselling in, in the workplace with, with execs. One of the things about that was that I was I kind of felt that people were they were operating within a role. And I, I just wanted to get a little bit deeper. So I went and trained in a variety of different things from Ericksonian psychotherapy, NLP, bit of CBT, some counselling, some tapping, a whole, a whole variety of things. And then I started working uh, as a therapist then, as a part-time therapist in, in 1999. And I was playing from a cognitive perspective, really, with anxiety, depression and sort of stressy stuff. And in 2002, I then uh, was introduced to a Scottish medical doctor. And he'd done some of the same therapy training as I had. And his reasons were that his girlfriend at the time had chronic fatigue syndrome. And as a medical doctor, he was deeply frustrated because there was nothing that he could do for her. And, you know, as we know, doctors can be a bit arrogant. And he thought, well, I should be able to do something for her, but I don't seem to be able to. So he did some therapy training, some of the same stuff, uh, some of the same stuff that I had done. And he was playing around with the ideas uh, seeing clients, seeing his patients uh, in a in a separate clinic, and was beginning to notice that you know he was making some difference to them to their to their symptoms. So I started working with him. We developed the ideas. We trained some therapists. Uh, this was, as I say, sort of two thousand two, two thousand three. And at that time, there we thought this is great. We're going to be rich and famous now because there is nothing out there for. Uh, people with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and the, all those medically unexplained symptoms. But we were wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> the reason we were wrong was because the you know, what was at the, the, the root of our work was uh, emotion and emotional stress. And of course, the majority of people still really look at the mind and body as separate. So people uh, often in quite a hostile way, would say, how can you possibly say that you can help us? You're a psychologist, you're talking about emotion, I've got a physical illness, I've got physical symptoms, what can you possibly do? Uh, so it's, uh, I guess, understandably to a certain extent, because, you know, there are we are seeing more and more people with medically unexplained symptoms of fatigue and pain, headaches, migraines and stomach problems and these sorts of things and insomnia. So... And a lot of the time, I guess, because these are medically unexplained, when they when they come to be diagnosed as chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue or fibromyalgia, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So essentially, meaning that medicine can't find anything wrong with you. Uh, so if you if your symptoms persist and they're clustered in this way, we're offering you this diagnosis. And I think that there was a there's a deep frustration among many of the of these sufferers understandably so because they feel that they've been let down by by medicine because medicine was kind of of the view that well you know maybe if we don't know what it is it doesn't exist so i think us coming along and saying it's about emotion or largely about that or it plays a huge role and the the the, the mind body split paradigm still being very evident 
that uh, made our progress a little slower than than we hoped. So uh, interesting, actually, is it was it's amazing how hard it is to have research done. I I tried to I tried very hard talking to talking to a variety of uh, of uh, academics about having research done of of the work, and. I spoke to one chap in uh, one professor in the university reasonably close to me, and he said, "I think you've got something here. You know, this is a great idea." He said, "But what you'll find in 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 the UK said there's no money for research for new ideas such as this, particularly a therapy." He said, "Your best bet would be to do a part-time PhD for six years, and then we could hope that we could get some some interest for some funding." Then I thought, "Wow, that really that's kind of interesting, isn't it?" But my business partner you know, the uh, doctor kind of got a bit jaded, really, with the idea that we weren't making as much progress as he wanted. And because we were, because we were unable to get researched, and we remained in the in the, the private healthcare sector, rather than being kind of embraced within within kind of mainstream. And that meant we had to be in business. And as a, as a medical doctor, he was only interested in kind of working with patients. He wasn't interested in being in, in business. So I've, I've continued, continued the work and obviously now written this book, The Intelligent Body, which came out a couple of months ago. And uh, yes, I, what's interesting to me now, I think, is that there are, I think back in 2002, I, I don't recall there being any other treatments programs but there seem to be quite a few that have come to the surface now since and there seems to be in increasing acceptance of the idea of emotional stress and physical injury so that's a little bit about me in the background is that what you wanted yes yes thank you that's wonderful and you know i'm thinking what you're um, saying about research that if there isn't a medical solution for example, a pill or, you know, a surgery or some type of medical treatment for the, for the issue, then no one wants to fund it, you know, <laughs> because it's so often the pharmaceutical companies that are funding this type of research, not always, but. It's not good for business otherwise, is it? Right. Because if the answer is in emotion, unless it involves prescribing antidepressants, but really even then you know, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications may help um, with the most acute symptoms. But when the issue is within the person, it's more about resolving the issue within the person than masking the symptoms with a medication. Mm. Are we in agreement about that? <laughs> oh, no, we are. Absolutely. And I, I think I think what's interesting here is that in Wales, and I think the UK as well, the prescriptions for antidepressants in have doubled in the last six years so what we're experiencing is that and there's a whole host of reasons for that which we can go into if you want to but you know it's i, I it obviously from my perspective it, it's good for business but it doesn't solve the problem uh, no, exactly so I what mean, we're seeing you know is, is and, and what i see an awful lot of is clients on 12 or 15 tablets and they don't really know what they are, but what they know is they're they're taking this tablet for maybe their pain, but they then they think they're taking this one for the side effects of this one, mm -hmm. and before they know it, they're you know they they look their house looks looks like a drugstore, and yeah, it's uh, in the long in the long term, it's not solving the problem. Right, it's treating the symptoms rather than the underlying issue. Yeah, but that's kind of what medicine does, doesn't it? Medicine does some fantastic things, but it has a focus on treating symptoms. And it doesn't, it, in many instances, doesn't have time to ask the question. And arguably, the pharmaceutical industries are not necessarily interested, arguably, in, in the cause anyway, because, you know, they're, it is better for business if you're treating symptoms. And if people are taking statins for life, that's better than them taking them for you know, six weeks and then stopping. Certainly. Yeah. So you, you talked in your book about the, in the beginning of the book, you talked about how you heard about a link between anger and heart disease and then about prostate cancer and stress. Can you talk about how the stress response happens in the body? Because you mentioned adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and also irritable bowel syndrome you talked about in the book, these clusters of symptoms that there's really, again, you can only treat the symptoms in medicine, but there's 
no real medical reason that can be identified. And people get really frustrated with that idea that, oh, it's all in my head, or I don't like being told that this is just emotional because it means that, you know, I need to get it together. That's certainly the American way. And I think, you know, typical of... That's absolutely right, isn't it? I think, I think, so there's probably a couple of points. I, the first thing in terms of mind and body, I think, you know, one of the, one of the ways that we can see that mind and body are connected is through stress and stress like emotion conjures up ideas for, for, for people. And those ideas are often probably a little bit further from the truth than they'd like to, to believe. So people often think that stress is that nervous, agitated feeling that they have if their boss is shouting at them. Uh, but I, I would say, well, that's an emotional feeling. So if you're aware that you feel uncomfortable, that's that's feeling feedback. Now, it may be that your body is in a state of stress with cortisol, adrenaline and whatnot coursing your veins, but it may it may not be. It may be that you're just feeling emotional feelings. So the two, I guess the two things about stress I think are important are firstly that our body can be in a state of stress or the stress response without us being consciously aware of that, which I think it's a, you know, I think that's extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mentioned this in the book that if this, you know, years ago, I read a book by the psychiatrist, Dr. David Servan Schreiber called Healing Without Prozac and Freud. And he talks about an experiment where he's he's measuring the emotional act the emotional activity of within the brain uh, when when people were observing something kind of disturbing so we had his uh, subjects watch a disturbing film and then he was measuring i think their heart rate the blood pressure and the activity of the emotional brain and he said they had one lady in and she was watching this video and he was looking at her you know, the readings. And he said her heart rate was was getting, was getting going high. Her blood pressure was kind of sky high. And the activity of her emotional brain was kind of going bonkers. And he was thinking, oh, my God, this lady is in a deep state of stress. I better go and check. She's OK. So he goes into the lab and he says, are you OK? Do you want me to turn this film off? And she looks at him with an element of surprise and says, oh, no, I'm perfectly fine. I'm quite happy watching this. Now, his... His argument was, well, she's not an emotionally intelligent person. She's not aware of what, what, what's going on. I would say, well, this is a great example how we can be kind of locked out of our feeling senses and how our body can be in a deep state of stress without us being consciously aware of it. And I go on to say, well, yeah, if if for that particular lady, there's every chance that at some point that she could develop symptoms because she isn't aware when it when her, her body is in this state of stress. So that's the first thing I think is important. This this is stress is a you know something that that is a, a, a response in the body, and we don't have to be aware of it. The second important thing I think about stress or the stress response is that it's pretty much the same apparently regardless of whether the the trigger is an emotional trauma, a, a physical injury or an illness. So, you know, you could be hit over the head with a frying pan. You could have a, a, a case, a bad case of flu, or you could have a relationship breakup. And the stress response in the body is exactly the same. So, you know, as, as you've seen, Laura, in my book, I, I I like to kind of when in working with clients, I like to try to make things super simple. So I I've, I kind of talk about it in terms of a, a stress bucket and with the idea being that when our stress bucket is full, we tend to get symptoms. But I, I'm looking at rather than it just being our emotional stress or emotion that gets locked up in that stress bucket. It can be things like if you have a bad diet, if you're drinking too much, if you're over exercising, if you're not sleeping. You know, if you've had an accident, if you've uh, if you've had an had an illness. I mean, last year I had a couple of clients that started with me and they said to me that they're with they both had uh, fibromyalgia and they said that their fibromyalgia was caused by a car accident. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the car accident was sort of the the final straw, if you will. So my sense of it was, well, what we're looking at is a reasonably full stress bucket. The body is always is already kind of reasonably stressed and this is the final piece that kind of pushes them over the 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 edge so the way i look at it in terms of i kind of going back to your question is you know how stress manifests i see it as a bit of a 
chain reaction really that when our stress bucket is full which for me a lot of it is a buildup of emotional stress i think that that emotional stress leads probably to a rewiring of the emotional midbrain which is the hpa access uh, which i think then in causes uh, irregularity within the nervous system the immune system the endocrine system and then what we get from there is a whole range a diverse range of, of symptoms because what we're used to experiencing is that medicine or treatments either work on the symptoms or maybe they try to balance the systems of, of the body where my sense is what we need to do is say well it, there's every chance that this chain reaction is taking place so we need to come right back and look at uh the the original source which is the stress and i think you know the the biggest piece is the emotional stress and i rec I, I do recognize well i would say that wouldn't i because that's what i work with uh but i think you know if you've had a car accident that's a one-off you know if you've had surgery that's a one-off if you've had a bad case of flu well yeah that you can move past that but usually with the emotion from my perspective it's a it's a drip feed and i think the other kind of bit that sort of goes to that and do stop me if I'm talking too much is that again I I, I think and this is coming from the work of Antonio uh, Damazio uh, and, and he suggests that emotions and feelings are slightly different things and the structures in the brain involved in producing them are slightly different and he suggests that emotion is a non-conscious process that is supposed to trigger feelings so we have emotional feelings the thing that's important for me about that is that what we know is that we are it's possible for us to block our feelings so that that lady in the experiment was was if there was if mm-hmm. there were the presence of any feelings of increased heart rate or it's possible for it for us to tune out of feelings so you know anger fear sadness all that it is possible for us to tune out and therefore not feel them and i think what happens is is that is that even if we can suppress our feelings, the emotions, because they're non-conscious, they're still there. So they're still kind of going on in the background. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, um, and I think I think what happens is, is that it's almost as if our body uses emotional feelings, just like it uses hunger, just like it uses tiredness as, as a feedback mechanism to get our attention. It uses, even though emotion is more complex, it uses emotion as, as a, emotional feelings as, as a feedback. And I think that what happens is that if that emotion, if, the, if those feelings become blocked, it's, as, it's almost as if the body decides it's got to find some way of getting that message through so it begins to send symptoms and that's when people experience what i think is a you know obviously the, a diverse range of anxiety depression through to migraines insomnia and it could be as you know we were talking before the show the work of, of gabor Mate. he he'll talk about cancer heart disease arthritis you know all these sorts of things so the, you know it's uh some people are skeptical of these ideas, but I think that it's certainly interesting. And I guess I look at when it comes to chronic, if anyone's experiencing a chronic health challenge, I, I, I don't, and this is supposed where the, the simple idea of the stress bucket comes in. I, I, I don't think, even though we like to think of things as that causes, you know, this causes that, my sense is there probably isn't a single primary cause. My sense is it's probably a little bit more like a combination lock. So between your your environment, your genes, your upbringing, your current emotion, your diet, your life, you know, all of those things factor in. And I think when all of the, the numbers of the combination lock are lined up, the locks, you know, the lock shuts and then you get 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 symptoms. So. I, I've, I've, I've forgotten what your question was now. <laughs> My ramblings. No, you answered it. Um, in a way, I asked you to talk about the stress response. So I think that your your answer was wonderful. And if you will, I'd like to talk a little more about that even because you talk about the, and you mentioned the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. I'm really curious about about this. You say in the book, I'm going to read a little part. It says, short-term stress, which can trigger the fight-or-flight response in the body, is not problematic and does not negatively impact the body and brain. However, when the body remains in a state of stress, 
the adrenal glands release the stress hormones, cortisol, epinephrine, which is adrenaline, and norepinephrine. These stress hormones course through your veins, affecting your blood vessels and en- route to your heart. And you talked about over time, if the stress response remains switched on, these chemical changes can cause structural damage. I'm really interested in that because, you know, that seems to me to be the link between the ACEs study that you and I were talking about, Dr. Felitti's work and from Kaiser Permanente, and the physical pain symptoms, disease, you know, the, the shorter lifespan and the stomach problems. Like, I'm really curious about that HPA axis and what role that plays. I don't know. So maybe you do. <laughs> well, I, I, okay. So at this, there's a couple of points. I suppose the first point is in terms of how much do we know? I remember last year, the year before, talking to an academic who worked at the time for the uh, National Institute of Health over in Washington, D.C. And I was explaining this to her because I was saying, you know, could it be that there's overactivity in the HPA axis? Could it be the hypothalamus is in overdrive? So the hypothalamus gland is a little bit like the master gland. It's a little bit like the captain of the ship where it's it's overseeing everything to do with survival, our blood pressure, our heart rates, uh, our water intake, our food intake, our sexual behavior, our, you know, our, uh, our response to heat and all that kind of stuff. And it's overseeing everything. And it gets signals in from the body and then sends signals out to the body through the pituitary glands to have the body kind of do stuff. And what happens in when symptoms uh, are occurring you know the hypothesis is that the hypothalamus gland and you know through the pituitary and the adrenals then become somewhat overactive the only thing is is that we don't actually have a way of measuring this so i was explaining this i said well could it be that that those mid brain regions the amygdala as well could they be overactive can we can we measure that and she was saying well i'm not sure that in terms of the the level of detail that you're talking about, whether at the moment we can measure that to see whether they are actually overactive. I guess in terms of the output, we probably can. So somebody with uh, adrenal fatigue, the, there's every chance that their cortisol levels are, are absolutely on the floor, you know, because they've it's been they've had so much uh, secreted in, 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 into the system that it's you know it's kind of on its back. So I guess in terms of output, you can measure, but it's also as well in terms of, uh, you know, I guess we're looking at symptoms and the fact that, and that certainly when it comes to things like uh, chronic fatigue and pain, as I say, this uh, and the sorts of sorts of uh, symptoms that I've been working with is that there is, they're diagnosed through exclusion, as I was saying earlier. So the symptoms are present and the, you know, people with these symptoms are not making them up, but uh, medicine up to this point, has not been able to find anything that's wrong. So this has got to be kind of something that's going on somewhere. So the idea being, I guess, that if if uh, if the symptoms are present, it's almost as if the body is acting as if there's something wrong. So that idea of of the the hypothalamus being the captain of the ship is if that captain of the ship is believes there to be something wrong then he's sending signals out you know if he thinks that there's a there's a there's a, a hole in the you know in the in the side of the ship he's probably sending everyone to, you've got to work you've got to get down to that area of the boat you've got to work really hard so it's it's almost like that's happening the body is acting as if there is something wrong but it's it's, it's there's no in external uh, invader so uh, for example yeah. You know, if, if you have a if you were to have a case of flu, a flu virus enters your system, your immune system uh, acts um, and cells are sent to, to attack the virus. The virus kind of bursts. It sends it, it. It will then trigger the hypothalamus into a temporary overdrive state. And of course, all the all the symptoms that we experience of a runny nose, swollen glands, sore throat, all of those are, the, are, are as a result of our body responding to there being a problem and, and it's trying to kill this invader. Uh, and of course, the symptoms are temporary because when once the that invading pathogen has been killed, the, the, the hypothalamus and the HPA axis go back to normal functioning. The, the, the kind of idea with stress 
you know, as you were just reading that passage, is that sometimes we can be aware if we're in the, the that 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 fight or flight mode. And I guess the kind of I the idea is, and it's almost a bit of a cliche now, the idea of well, if you know, back in the olden days, if we were being chased by a bear in, in the forest and you know, initially we spot the bear, the body moves into fight or flight, we run like crazy, we escape the bear or get eaten. But if we escape the bear, at some point later, the, the we come out of fight or flight and we go back to normal functioning. So the, the kind of idea really is with my work is that probably what we're experiencing is a lot of low level stresses that we're not aware of. And as a result of that, the stress response, and, and because we, the, you know, the, the stress response can be on without us being aware of it, is that the stress response stays on, and then after a period of time, the body begins to break down. So, does that does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, therapist. We've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my Issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code CHAT to get two free months. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is the EMDR therapy training brainchild of Dr. Jamie Marich, a clinician and author who's on a mission to confront stigma around mental health, trauma, and dissociation. The Institute, informed by Jamie's work, teaches a somatic, expressive, bottom-up approach to EMDR therapy that does not treat dissociation like a dirty word. ICM empowers their students to navigate dissociation as a normal response to trauma and stress when it shows up. Dr. Jamie Marich is out and proud on various levels about her own recovery and is a strong believer in the healing capacities of EMDR therapy and helping our clients to heal from the impact of trauma. I and two of my team members have been trained by the Institute for Creative Mindfulness directly with Jamie, and I was impressed with how dissociation really was treated as just a normal aspect of trauma therapy work, which it is. Both Jamie and the consultants were matter of fact about if and when dissociation arises, it's okay, it's normal, and here's how you can help the client in that situation. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is offering a coupon code to save 15% off any program offered by ICM. This includes their EMDR therapy basic training programs and a wide variety of their home study, advanced topics, and other CE offerings. Go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com and use promo code 15 for listeners. There's a link in the show notes. You can copy the promo code and use the link right there in the show notes to make it easy. know that small actions can make a big difference in our lives. I know for me, I can be in a terrible mood, go out somewhere and see a stranger, make eye contact and just smile at them and find suddenly I feel good. Whether it's practicing mindfulness a few minutes each day, movement practices, small actions can have big benefits, like how taking care of your gut can support whole body health. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Your body is an ecosystem and great health starts in the gut. Your gut is a central hub for various pathways through the body and a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, our immune systems, and more. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com living and use code 25living to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com living, code 25living. You know, I'm fascinated by the gut health piece and IBS. I mean, you know, my clients, 
pretty much almost all of my clients have childhood trauma and attachment trauma. And so many of them have IBS or, you know, other stomach issues. So can you talk about the inflammatory response and how that relates to health? I think so. The sort of the, the the root of me touching on the gut microbiome is that uh, what I've witnessed is over, over the kind of years of doing this is that certainly at, over the last five years there has been this surge of interest in nutrition, and it seems to be the case that there are lots of people that seem to be believing that well, if I get my nutrition sorted, mm-hmm. my health will be absolutely fine. And, you know, people are talking about depression, anxiety, it all starts in the gut. So, and I, I guess I found this a bit frustrating, really, uh, having seen, having worked with people with, with chronic health problems and seeing how they'd done a lot of work on their diet and still they were presenting lots of symptoms. So my knowledge about it is rudimentary. There's there's there's, there's also the kind of idea, well, everything comes from inflammation as well. And I think it seems what we seem to be what seems to be being uh, uncovered is that we have we have a nervous system, the enteric nervous system within within the gut, and so there are neurons with it with you know uh, within the gut, and therefore when we have a gut feeling that comes from from the the flow of intelligent activity within the gut, but there is this the 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 flow of of information and channels run between the the gut microbiome and the brain so the gut does affect the brain and the brain affects the gut and the kind of heart plays a role in that as well so this is why it can, you know you know it, it can be the case that uh if if you if you have if you have a bad gut an upset stomach that can affect your brain so the, you know there is that theory that well anxiety can arise from problems in your digestive system, which arguably could be the truth. Uh, I suppose my sense of it is that because of the connection between brain mm-hmm. and gut microbiome, it's probably more likely the case that, it, that our emotion is affecting our gut through our yes. nervous system. Um, I think so too. <laughs> so, and again, you know, I, I would say, well, the, 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 the caveat to that is that I'm coming from this perspective. My work is based on that. But as I say, I guess because because this idea of emotion and stress leading to chronic health challenges and uh, is reasonably new, certainly in terms of doing something about it or having a treatment for it, most of the people that I see and have seen over the last 15 years will have tried a, a truckload of things first. And mm-hmm. uh, nutritional programs is something that most people have tried. And, it, 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 you know, whilst it, there may be some, some benefit, it doesn't get, in my experience, it doesn't get people better. Yes. And, you know, I think what you said before about how there are so many variables involved, it's not, to me, it's not your gut causes anxiety. I think it's a, it's a reciprocal. It goes both ways. It's not a one way gut to brain. It's brain to gut, gut to brain, heart, you yes. know, all of the Circular systems. causality really, isn't it? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Not a one, one thing, but, you know, for me, it seems like, Stress, as you mentioned, and in my world, childhood trauma is a theme that you can almost find in almost everyone who has, you know, physical health symptoms. But that's that's a little bit maybe of an overgeneralization. I, I think it's absolutely true because, I mean, one of the interesting things that I found with, with people that I've worked with is that, obviously, I always ask about for a history of symptoms. And if I'm working with somebody with IBS, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, or uh, 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 adrenal fatigue, they'll say, well, I had my diagnosis two years ago, five years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Whatever. And when we, we, we track back, you know, kind of more medically unexplained symptoms, they always go back to kind of usually childhood. And there was, there's always a variety of things that have happened in their childhood. So there's, my experience is childhood trauma you know, uh, in in a in a in a broad way, is always playing a role. Well, I love that you said that because that's really what I think too. But I think that one of the problems in that statement for a lot of people, possibly who are listening or people we know in our lives, is that people don't identify their experiences have as having been traumatic. Like 
it can be traumatic for a child to move to a new city. It can be changing schools. It can be moving to a different house in the same neighborhood. It doesn't mean someone abused you or mistreated you deliberately, but it could still have been traumatic for you as a child. And there are so many, if we really opened up the definition more broadly to what children actually experience as being traumatic situations where they felt helpless and they felt alone and scared and they no, you know, they didn't feel like anyone could help them. That's, that's a lot of things because children are powerless by being children. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty much everything, but <laughs> I, I guess, you know, it, it, it is potentially everything. Uh, you know, I guess one of the ways that I look at things, which may be a little bit different, is that my, the way I work is that I come from a perspective of suggesting that so trauma is would be a result of kind of stress and emotion is it, my perspective is that well it's not the external events mm-hmm. as such cause our emotional triggers our emotion arises inside of us and so this is why we can't i don't think necessarily we can look at events and if people say well my life wasn't traumatic well it's not a necessarily about that it's about the way you unconsciously responded to that to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, and it's about your natural wiring. Um, now, obviously, I have to be very careful because, you know, uh, it's it's the, the there's something of a, can be something of a fine line between empowerment and blame. Mm. And I'm, see, my work is about being empowered and saying, all right, well, yes, if my emotional, if my emotions arise from inside of me, if I'm creating them as opposed to them being triggered, let me look at how I can uh, more effectively process them for my benefit, uh, rather than, oh my God, you're saying this is my fault, which is obviously the blame side. So I try to steer, steer clear of that. But I think, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, my sense generally is we're a little bit too externalized in 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 our culture. We're and I mm-hmm. think that's why we're seeing so much more chronic health. You know, so many more chronic health problems across across the the you know uh, across the scale. Really, there is this focus on what's going on outside of me, and I, I think one of the things that we need to do is bring it back to what's going on inside of me. I, I know I've kind of I've, I've I've gone off at a bit of a tangent there. So no, bring me back. no, not at all. But let's. Let's take it back to that empowering stance that you have. Your book is called The Intelligent Body, and it's the idea that your body can heal from the inside out. So why don't you talk with us and let our listeners know about how you work with the body and help your clients, the people you coach and work with, to heal their their symptoms or their chronic illnesses and chronic pain with your work? I guess there's a number of probably important pieces. So we talked about symptoms and we talked about how symptoms can get worse. And, you know, from what we were just saying about, about trauma and what I've experienced is that people's symptoms do get worse and they, they, they come and go. So everybody that I've worked with, with uh, something chronic, be it fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, IBS, they, it always starts with something milder earlier in life. And, you know, which could be a bit of anxiety, a bit of depression, insomnia, headaches, bad stomach, these sorts of things. And then what or bad back, chest pains. these. Sorts. And what happens is that either those sim- symptoms subside or people uh, do some work to try to alleviate those symptoms. But the symptoms come back. Now, m- my perspective you know, as I was saying earlier, with the idea of, of emotion being a non-conscious process and our body using emotion as a way of getting our attention, is my sense is that, okay, well, we could look at it in a metaphorical way that uh, your body, tr- everything you feel is your body trying to give you some feedback, your body trying to get your attention. So be it hunger or be it uh, a, a bad head. And what we need to do is actually pay attention to that. So my sense is that if we are blocking our emotional feelings, the body starts to use symptoms as a way of getting our attention. And it will effectively increase the volume or intensity of those symptoms if we don't pay attention to them. And I think people intuitively sort of know this is that kind of thing that if if somebody has had a particularly overwhelming or frustrating 
day at work at, at, at the office and they, they come home with a bad head. I think people often know that they've got a bad head. You know, they've got this, this headache because of you know, it's been a particularly uh, frustrating or anger provoking day at, at the office. And, you know, but however, I think if that if that headache were to go on for, say, two weeks, I think they would that intuitive sense of, well, it's actually still because I haven't dealt with my feelings uh, and that situation. They probably go to their their doctor who would give them some meds. And if that continued, they'd probably have some tests and it would look at the symptoms. And I think people forget that they probably, you know, intuitively have a sense of that those symptoms are actually trying to tell them something. So that's the first bit, which I think is is if and the the the, the very idea that the body is increasing the volume of symptoms, it that doesn't mean that the message behind the symptoms is any different. So if it's still about blocked emotion, the message is the same. I think that again, sort of unconsciously, we have a sense that if I'm getting very big symptoms, it must require there must be a very big problem requiring a very big solution. Uh, which, in my experience, is is not the case. It's the message, which is, in most instances, you know, a blockage of my emotional flow, uh, is that that's the same regardless of whether the symptoms are mild or the symptoms are severe. Uh, so that's that's the I guess that's the first piece, and, and I, I, I look at it in a in in a very simple way that the 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 body acts with a sense of 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 uh, immediacy and obviously like the person having a, a headache at the end of the workday which might kick off around lunchtime you know if it's been a bad meeting the the body responds quite quickly if we are if we are uh, blocking our emotional feelings there's every chance that the body will respond quite quickly with symptoms and what happens is is that once the body gets to producing symptoms it gets there quicker next time and of course we know our bodies work like this with everything it's like if 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 you uh if you're a sports person and you attain a certain level of fitness that takes you six months to get there if you drop off your training for a while and then go back you'll get back to that you know that level of fitness much quicker the second time round. So that that can serve us in some aspects, but it, it, the the same principle I believe is at work with symptoms. So if you're a person that experiences, say, anxiety symptoms, it may have taken quite a buildup of things in your stress bucket to begin with before your body started to send those anxiety symptoms. But once you've had them, it, the chances are it'll get there uh, quicker next time, which I guess m- means that you've got to pay attention. So that's that's the sort of the first bit really is 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 that idea that okay well my this what we're going to do is interpret our our symptoms from the perspective that they they may be a block of the flow of you know my emotional flow or the flow of me uh so again the sort of slightly esoteric bit of that is i think there is an energy a, a consciousness that that is us so I, I talk about it being in the book about it being our our true self and i'm not trying to define our true self other than it being probably something far greater than we we we, we currently conceive of uh but when that when that true self is blocked our emotion gets blocked and then the body presents uh, symptoms. So th- a huge part of the work is, is is really getting people back in touch with that that true self. And I do that through feeling and it's translating symptoms into feelings, essentially. And that really is a paradigm shift for lots of people. So, you know, you talked about people with, with you know, having patients of yours with IBS. The majority of people think that IBS is about their diet and about things that they're, they're eating. But I've had lots of clients where when they're okay, they can, you know, they can almost eat what they like. But when things are bad, a glass of water could trigger IBS uh, mm. symptoms for them. And of course, what they're, and this is it, isn't it? This is what we do as, as, as humans is that we work in the opposite way of science. We're looking at, we form beliefs quite quickly on a small amount of uh, evidence. And then we, we look out in, in, into the world and we filter everything else out that doesn't conform with our with our beliefs 
we're not consciously doing that, but that's what happens. Unfortunately, what happens is that people, you know, everyone that I work with, and I'm sure this may be the case for you as well, is that they have their ideas, their kind of preconceived ideas about what causes their symptoms. And certainly with IBS, it's, well, because if I've eaten this or I've eaten that. So then to say, and of course, cause and effect are quite closely linked there. It makes sense. Well, if my if I've got a problem with my with my gut, it makes sense that I'm something that I'm putting in there. The idea that it's it's some emotional stress that is is built up in my stress bucket actually shifts cause and effect a little bit further apart. But it's it's a little bit of a you know you have to that's you know you have to be open to the fact that your original theory, your original belief might be wrong. And that that can take a little bit of time for people. So some people get that straight away, and they're very open to the fact that, well, yeah, actually, the way I've been I've been thinking is probably not right. Uh, and they they can get that notion that, okay, well, you know, there may be some some uh, uh, feelings that I'm not aware of underneath those underneath those symptoms. And again, this that's why that uh, Antonio uh, uh, Damasio idea of emotion and feeling being different is so important. Because again, lots of people will say, "Yeah, yeah, but I can feel my, I feel my uh, uh, feelings," and I'd say, "Well, there, there probably are some that you are aware of, uh, but the fact you're having symptoms would suggest that there are emotions under the surface, and the feelings associated with those emotions are being blocked, and that's why your body is is uh, sending symptoms in, in, instead." So what we have to do is kind of assume that there are emotions underneath those uh, symptoms so that's you know you know i guess in a nutshell that that's the sort of the start of of how the work uh, begins to unfold and then i guess it gets deeper from there really yeah so thank you for all of that background and you have pretty clear examples some actual exercises and case examples in your book to help people realize how they can work to move through those emotional blockages and get more connected with their true self. I think we could have a whole second discussion just about that. If you wanted to, I would love to have you back to talk about that because, you know, I think that so often on this podcast, I'm, I'm helping people learn more about something, but then they're like, but how, <laughs> how, how do you do it? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing I, I tried to do in, in, in the book. And I, I'm not for a second because I got accused of this last week, which I thought was ridiculous because I never actually said it. But I, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that people can get well by reading the book. Right. But I do lay out up to the point, you know, this process is evolving all of the time as I, as, as everything should really. But when I wrote this, you know, this, I basically put everything in there. So everything that I was using with my clients everything that i worked up with my colleagues went into the book uh and I, i'm sh i would hope that there are people that can take themselves through that and derive some benefit from it but yeah i'm not suggesting that people can get completely well by reading a book uh, but it, it is all it's pretty much it's pretty much all there yeah and i think that um for me i can read a book and i can you know try some techniques and it can be very helpful and help me understand where I want to go from there. And then, you know, the work with someone is what really takes it deeper. And to that end, who do you work with and where? Like, do you only work with people directly in Wales? I, I don't know. I, I, I work probably 70% of my clients are in the US. Hmm. So I do a lot of work via Skype. I do. Uh, I have a, a colleague in West Wales. I have a colleague um, who does this work in Arlington, Virginia. Oh. Uh, so, and I'm. My intention is to start training practitioners in, in this work, and I'm hoping that we can set up a first training, maybe next March or April, uh, which will be in the US. The, the intention is to have that in Washington D.C. Uh, if all goes according to plan. How wonderful. Yeah. I'm only an hour away from there. That's that's <laughs> exciting to hear. So that that's the plan. But yeah, but I, I've worked with, you know, I guess I spent the last 15 years really working with people all over the all over the, the planet, really. That's the joy of Skype. And I guess because this is this is, you know, I, I'm not really doing anything to people. 
you know, it's a, it's, it's sort of a teaching process, really. You know, my, my job is to be the advocate for the intelligent body, really. I'm, I'm trying to get people to reconnect with their, with their true self. And when they, when they do, and they begin to, you know, when they can see symptoms from this different perspective, they can begin to feel again, so they can reawaken their, their uh, emotional feelings get more aligned with their true self they begin to notice that it's that idea that well if i'm if i'm processing my emotion uh my emotional feelings my body doesn't need to send symptoms the only reason my body sends symptoms is because the emotions have been stuck in my stress bucket so it's a it's a very simple idea um but it's you know that's what i i guess that's what i'm i'm trying to teach through this work I think your book is amazing, and I'm sure that many people who are listening are not only want to, going to want to go get the book, but also get in touch with you and possibly, you know, do some Skype sessions with you. So how can people find you and your book? The book is available, hopefully through all good retailers, certainly on Barnes & Noble and Amazon, uh, and it's you can get it as an audio book, as a Kindle, and it's a hardback. I'm knocking it there. Um, <laughs> and you can get hold. I, I'm on Facebook and social media and all that kind of stuff. I have, uh, if you're on Facebook and you do get pain and fatigue symptoms, I have a, uh, a group called the Fatigue and Pain Solutions Group. And I have been up to this point doing weekly live broadcasts where I kind of deal with questions from people and talk for half an hour, ramble for half an hour about them. <laughs> um, my website is energyflowcoaching.com okay. and you can, you can uh, find a little bit, find out a little bit more about us there. Great. I so, will put yes. all of that in the show notes so people can get right to you from this episode. I think this has been so fascinating and I really, really enjoyed it. I appreciate you being on therapy chat so much. Well, it's, been, it's a pleasure. I, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. I know. That's why I'm hoping we can do it again. Well, part, we part two. Will. We definitely <laughs> part two. Yes. Sign me up. Sign me up. Wonderful. Well, Kyle, thank you again for being my guest on therapy chat today. Thank you. Try therapy notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Kyle Davies. Wasn't that interesting? And we really just got started because there's a second half to this discussion, which will be coming out in the next couple weeks in which Kyle is going to talk more about how. So the beginning was more about what and why and how to feel better is going to be the second part. And between this episode and the Second part of my interview with Kyle, you're going to be hearing from Daniela Paoloni, who is a California therapist who specializes in working with people who have chronic pain and visible illness. I can't wait to share that interview with you. So as always, thank you for listening to Therapy Chat. I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to those of you who have left me messages on SpeakPipe or sent me emails asking questions or giving me feedback. I really appreciate it. Please keep it up. 
And you can go to my website, therapychatpodcast.com and use SpeakPipe. There's a green button that says send a message to Therapy Chat and you can record me a message in your own voice. I love when I get those. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.